This is an audio program, but we're starting by talking about a video. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. We've got stuff to talk about on a Friday. Let's get to it. The Ohio Highway Patrol released a video walkthrough of that massive pileup that happened on the turnpike during blizzard conditions on the Friday before Christmas. It's got to be one of the most dramatic crash scenes we've ever had this close of a look at. Layla, what does it show? This video just takes your breath away, really. It's 11 minutes long. It's It shows the trooper from his body camera vantage point walking through the scene documenting the wreckage and, and the license plates of vehicles involved, which would be t- you know, used in the investigation of it. But the scene is almost apocalyptic. I mean, the snow is still blowing against these first responders. They're sorting through the wreckage. They're tending to people still trapped in their vehicles. Semis are twisted and mangled with their contents just spilled on the roadway and cars are completely smashed between and beneath some of them. And then there's this very grim moment when one first responder tells the <clears throat> the patrolman or the, the uh, um, trooper, There's one in that car who's still talking, and he's referring to someone still trapped in their vehicle. And then he says, one of the fatals was this car right here. And he points to a vehicle with its front end completely crushed beneath a semi and its back end smashed in as well. And the trooper asks, where are the other two fatalities? Are they on the other side? And the responder says, see that semi being held up by the crane? They're underneath that. It's, it's, it's actually hard to believe that there weren't more fatalities when you see the scene and how serious this really was. Every vehicle out there was completely totaled and just mangled into heaps of twisted metal. Yeah, I, 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 this is riveting. I mean, I, I've never seen a vantage like this. And as they go through, I was struck like you. How did more people not die? Because these aren't just fender benders. Right. These, the trucks are completely into the passenger compartments of cars. And what, what's shocking is the cars are pointing in every direction possible. And you wonder, did everybody just start spinning out as soon as they hit their brakes? Trucks, cars, all going, I guess, at higher speed than they should. Should well, have, and that's the thing. But, you always, I, I always think of like uh, when they, when there are this many cars involved in some kind of pileup. I think, look, they must have been going slowly enough where these were just like a bunch of fender benders. And I remember having this conversation with my husband, and we're like, "Oh man, four people died here. How did that happen?" And now I see it. This must have just been a complete whiteout, uncontrolled. You know, the the you probably could not stop yourself, no matter how you tried. I mean, and, and it just looks like a graveyard. It's it's chilling. And it just keeps going on and on and on, right? The video is 11 minutes long of him walking around and you're just like destruction as far as the eye could see. And because all the vehicles were upside down or twisted, it does, apocalyptic is a really good word, Layla. I was thinking it looks like another world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like earth. Well, it almost looks like an auto junkyard. Yeah, it does. We should remind everybody that the the forecast for that day was blizzard-like, and everybody had been advocated, don't go out today. Don't but it drive was also anywhere. December 23rd, and everybody yeah. had holiday plans that they did not want to cancel, right? I mean, I, I, I did cancel ours. It was the Friday before Christmas, but I think a lot of people, when they want to see their family, when they have to get things done before the holiday, they just didn't wait. You know, they weighed it, and they thought, I can... I can I can do this. You know, everyone so when, the turnpike, you, when you hit the road, you're always thinking, "I'll just drive slow," but it's not always in your control. 
Well, the turnpike had blocked a whole bunch of vehicles. There, no, no campers, no trucks that were empty, no double trucks, no triple trucks. I, I'm surprised they allowed tractor trailers because you could clearly see the tractor trailers mixing with the cars mm-hmm. is what did most of the damage. It wasn't car to car. It was cars jammed under these things. I'm a little bit surprised that Turnpike didn't just say no tractor trailers, but the advice was very clear that day. I mean, anywhere you looked, including our website, don't go out and to go on the Turnpike in blizzard conditions and go at those kind of speeds, it was super dangerous. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It's, I, I just, it's, it's that we drove back through there days later and a whole bunch of debris was still around, but I just had no idea. I felt so bad for these people who were out there working because the wind is howling. It's really cold. At one point, the camera guy sees one of the drivers huddling up under the bridge. He's like, are you one of the drivers? You need to go get on the bus and get warm, man. Get out of here. And and when you look at the wreckage, I mean, it's hard to, if, if you were working that scene, where do you begin to deal with all of that? I can't believe they cleared it as quickly as they did right it was closed for what 24 hours but looking around you're like how do you even start how do you get a tow truck in there you just start at the beginning and just keep going and those tow trucks would have a trouble and and many of those those uh tractor trailers were were severely damaged i can't believe how much damage a semi can can you know well, it looked like they they closed the westbound side and put cranes over there to pick this stuff up, put it on flatbeds and drive it out. So the west side was closed for much of the day. And like Laura said, the eastbound side was closed for 24 hours. So anybody that was seeking to travel in the next 24 hours wasn't getting anywhere. And the, the videos on cleveland.com, it, it's worth looking at just to give you an idea of what happens when people advocate you stay home. Uh, and you don't follow the directions. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We have the Ohio Revised Code, which is the laws of Ohio. It sets up all the crimes and things like that. And we have the Ohio Administrative Code, which a whole is a whole bunch of rules and regulations, housing codes, building codes, that kind of thing. So, Lisa, how big is the Administrative Code, and how does Governor Mike DeWine now propose to seriously cut it back? Yeah, the Ohio Administrative Code is 17.4 million words. It's one of the largest in the nation, as a matter of fact. And Governor DeWine yesterday asked lawmakers to cut the Administrative Code by at least one-third, so that would be about 5 million words. They want to remove outdated, redundant, unnecessary, and hard-to-navigate information. So, Lieutenant Governor John Husted's Common Sense Initiative went through the code and they found several ways to improve. The National Fire Building Code was in there along with the State building Fire Building Code. So they removed the national wording. They removed the public college and university policies. Every public college and university had all their policies in this code and their regulations. That's 2.3 million words gone. Also, there were 240 Ohio lottery games in there that are are no longer being played. That's 1.6 million words. And uh, they looked at other changes in fire, plumbing, mechanical, and residential codes. And Husted said that they will look at the other two-thirds of the administrative code for more deletions. And as we recall, last year, DeWine signed a bill to reduce state regulations by 30% in the next three years. Agencies are supposed to eliminate two existing rules for every new rule they create. But 35 bills passed the legislature that require new rules. So it's a kind of a vicious circle there. Well, 
what struck me about this, it felt like it's the Ohio government version of hoarding. They just kept adding stuff and they never cleaned it out. And you can search the administrative code the way you search the revised code. But if you've ever done that, looking for a specific thing, you get way too many entries. It's, it's very hard to narrow the search down to find exactly what you're looking for. And it is just word soup. But I still had no idea it was that big because I've never really looked at it in a, in a book form. I don't even know if it exists in a book form. Uh, but wow, what, what a massive amount of stuff that they're weeding out. Who led this? Was this uh, John Houston? Yeah, it was, it's called the Common Sense Initiative. And so I guess they're going through you know, government and trying to streamline policies, procedures, and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be. It seems like they can keep going. That there's probably still too much in there, but at least they're making a big dent in it. I feel like we can we can really empathize with having to go through a you know a having having been the editor going through stories <laughs> trying to chop out like five words here, ten words here, bringing it down to the right length. I can't imagine having to cut 50 million words from something. Yeah, right. <laughs> Although, isn't there a story coming this weekend that might need that kind of <laughs> surgery? I don't know. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Tim Ryan ran for the U.S. Senate as a representative of the working person, someone who would be arm in arm with regular Ohioans, and he lost. His new job does not really seem like it is in keeping with the senator he said he would be. Laura, what is his new job? Well, it kind of sounds like he could be hanging out with those dark money funding Republicans in the Ohio House because he is joining the leadership council of a political nonprofit that promotes the natural gas industry. So he is pledging to boost the role of natural gas in meeting climate goals securely, reliably and affordably. I'm not quite sure how that is going to work, but he's going to serve alongside former Democratic Senator Mary Landrew of Louisiana. This is at Natural Allies for a Clean Energy Future. I, I, I was stunned by this because this is not what I thought Tim Ryan stood for. He's standing for fossil fuels. <laughs> it's just not right, what you thought. You natural thought gas it, is mostly methane. Let's just yeah, put it out it's there. Methane. It's methane. I mean, it's, it's, and we've been talking about it a lot yes. because Mike DeWine and company de- declared it a green energy form, which is ridiculous. I, I just and because was, of stoves. Don't forget the stove right. I, I'm just stunned. That, I mean, this is the definition, it feels like, of selling out. And all these people that voted for him, believing in him, I, I, you know, there were people at the, in the Democratic Party that were saying, you know, he's not a liberal. He's really not a liberal. They get points today because he's joining conservative cause. I guess he's not planning to run for office again because this would hang around his neck. I don't know what this means for his political ambition. He Obviously, he ran for president in 2020. He's been mentioned as a possible future statewide or national candidate. He has been named a Pritzker Fellow at the University of Chicago, where he's going to join students for, quote, deep dives into the most pressing issues of the day at its Institute for Politics. So, it, I mean, and this is a political group. So I don't think you can say he's leaving politics entirely. And I like you, I saw this and I love the headline because Sabrina Eaton didn't give it away on the headline. It's like, what's next for Tim Ryan? So you had to read the story. So you didn't even know until you read the lead that you're like, wait, wait a minute here. But you think about where he's from and Ohio's union roots and its work drilling in the Marcellus and Utica shale formations in the eastern part of the state. And he is always been for the working guy, for the union, for the manufacturer. And I guess I can kind of see it from that perspective. 
because he's never been like a green energy liberal, right? Where I, I don't know. But I guess the, I can see his his blue collar roots here and what he's trying to do. But yeah, I was stunned. But for the sake of the planet, he could have invested his efforts for manufacturing in green energy, like wind in turbines, turbines, in all in solar panels. I mean, over in Toledo, you have that massive solar panel factory that that employs a bunch of people. I, it just it didn't seem like it fit with the Tim Ryan we thought we saw during the campaign throwing footballs. Really, what he's done here is throw a curve. Oh, you, good you're, one. <laughs> you're listening to Today in Ohio. People who want more public transit in Cleveland have thrown down the gauntlet to Chris Ronain. Layla, what's their challenge to him and did he accept it? Yeah, Clevelanders for public transit are challenging him to attempt to rely on public transportation for a full week so he can see for himself the deficiencies in the system that so many in Northeast Ohio have to rely on. There are roughly 12% of county residents don't own a vehicle, and that number is as high as 22% in Cleveland and 35% in East Cleveland. So the transit advocates want Ronane to attempt this challenge during the week of February 4th. That's Transit Equity Day. And it's also the birthday of Rosa Parks, who played a pivotal role in the Montgomery bus boycott. And Ronane actually said he'll do it. He'll accept the challenge. I mean, well, he, he said he'll promise to take public transit as much as possible that week. He said he can't guarantee every trip he takes, but he'll do his best. Well, it's yeah, at some point you might have to go somewhere that public transit doesn't serve, which is the whole point yeah. of these folks. They want it expanded so you can get everywhere. But I hope he that's may. the reason that he ends up taking the car is that he recognizes he needs the car to get to where he needs to go, not because he's just, you know, wussing out and <laughs> taking the well, easy no, way. Chris, he if he can't get to where he wants to go, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't jump on a bike or a scooter because he he'll take it seriously and he's not going to wanna but but if it illustrates the problem, it's a it's cool. I'm glad he took it up because he he could have said hey I, this is a great idea and i know transit's bad but i'm trying to get the county running but he he accepted. yeah i mean so it's, it's a challenge that could really inform his work in this first year i mean he does have some solid plans to improve public transit he's adding a director of mobility and transportation to his cabinet to focus on public transportation needs and and he he says he's focused on improving transportation for that last mile of people's commute to wherever they're headed you know how do you get the person from the bus stop to their final destination and filling those gaps i think is top of mind for him but you know Ronane's proposals don't address making transit more accessible to lower no income people and so that is really uh you know the advocates who have come up with this challenge have also put forth uh, dozens of policy suggestions to help him as he gets started here Okay, you are listening to Today in Ohio. The number of Ohioans who use medical marijuana keeps climbing, and you really get a perspective on that when you look at a year-over-year increase. Lisa, what were the numbers as 2022 came to a close? Well, medical marijuana is obviously big business in Ohio, and it keeps growing. So for December last month, over 308,000 people bought medical marijuana products. That was up over 2% from November, but it was up 43% 
from December of 2021. Huge jump. Um, uh, and they, we broke down, you know, the different products that they bought. So the number one product that people bought was vape cartridges, over 359,500 of those. Next came edibles at 247,000. Then sublingual, like little patches that you put under your tongue that came next and then capsules that contain THC and so on and so forth and uh, flower which is the actual plant material they sold 6,695 pounds of it in December that's worth 23.6 million dollars that's up from 19 million from November so that was a huge jump just wow. from month to month yeah, it's a, it's a, this thing has moved steadily. In the beginning, it was kind of hard to get and there weren't enough dispensaries, but if, as the dispensaries have expanded and the legislatures expanded the number of conditions, this is really becoming a big industry. In it really has. And we also broke down, you know, who these patients are. Over 20,000 of them are military veterans, uh, 21,334 are indigent. And then there were about 1,200 people who had terminal diagnoses. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Median home prices, like medical marijuana use, also climbed in 2022 in Cuyahoga County. And again, you get some real perspective by looking back a few years, Laura. What did these numbers show? We just keep going up and up and up for the last decade in both Cleveland and the suburbs. So the suburban median overall increased from 2020. 21 and it was $182,000 to $198,000 in, in, in 2022. And the median from Cleveland went from 80,000 that it was at 80,000 up from 72,000. So East Cleveland actually had the biggest gain by percent go for it. It, it went up 37%. The high, the median uh, house price is about $30,000 there. Maple Heights went up 21%. It has a price of about $98,000. On the other end, uh, Pepper Pike and Moreland Hills were up 22 and 32%. You, The median house there costs more than $600,000. Were there any other surprises in, in cities, for instance, that didn't see uh, increases. Yeah. Rocky River, my town, was the only town with more than 50 sales, then there were 200 and some, that did not increase from 2021 to 2022. And it went down by $5,000. And all I can think is that they're just, there were fewer sales in 2022 or they're just, you know, it was just a little bit off because believe me, the market here is still really hot and, and prices are going up. Um, it's the average cost here is $350,000. It's up from 2020 when it was 325000 But you can go on cleveland.com to Megan Sims' story and look up every town in Cuyahoga County and look back from, I think, 2007 all the way up to 2022 and see what the prices are. And for example, the median house in Cleveland Heights was $68,000 uh, a decade ago. Now it's $172,500. So think about that kind of increase in a 10-year span. I know that we were still climbing out of the, the Great Recession and that housing collapse in at that time, but that, that's a lot of growth. Well, and unlike the last time housing prices went up, this isn't that artificial bubble that was created by the mortgage fraud. This is, this is genuine increases. And when you look at it over time, as you said, it is the most striking. It's Today in Ohio. 
All right, Layla, this is the most interesting story of the day. A Parma Heights man who immigrated to the United States from Yugoslavia, worked at Dave's supermarket, owned a sausage business, and ultimately became a naturalized citizen, was arrested Thursday. And it's a tale of murder and international intrigue. What is it? (laughs) That's quite the setup. Yeah, prosecutors say that this guy, 54-year-old Yugoslav Vidic, he served in the Yugoslavian People's Army after Croatia declared its independence. And as part of the special operations branch of the military that's called the, the Red Berets, he killed this former co-worker at a meat processing plant in Croatia. And they say Vidic targeted this guy, uh, Stepan Combs, because Combs once <laughs> once shook hands with former Croatian president Franjo Tudjman as part of a press event at their meatpacking plant. And because Tudjman supported Croatian independence and Vidic, who was an ethnic Serb, fought to keep Croatia part of Yugoslavia. So Vidic returned to this meat processing plant in September 91 as a Red Beret about a year later after the handshake as part of this military operation. And he walked Combs out of the plant at gunpoint and they later found Combs' body in a mass grave. So Vidic was convicted in Croatia of war crimes because of this killing and sentenced to 20 years in prison. But he fled to the U.S. in 99 under refugee status. And prosecutors say he lied on his green card applications. He lied about his military history and that he never, quote, committed any crime of moral turpitude or was ever charged with breaking any law. And he said he never engaged in sabotage, political assassinations, genocide, or participated in a politically motivated killing. Uh, So Vidic then became a naturalized U.S. citizen in 2005, and he lied to officials during that process, too. And those lies carry a maximum of 15 years in prison. I assume extradition, too, <laughs> to deal with his, you know, his murder charges. Yeah, I, This was one of those that I knew nothing about, and I saw the headline pop up, and I'm reading it, and it's, whoa, I mean, this is seriously detailed. So he's he's charged with crimes in America, but I suspect if he's convicted, he won't go to prison here, right? They'll ship him back. And I don't let know. Him serve I was wondering there. that too. Will will he be will he serve his time over there or will they first have him serve here 15 years and then send him back to deal with the war crime conviction? But um but it what's interesting to me is that he had problems here. He worked at the Dave supermarket and he was transferred to a store in Cleveland Lee's Leave Harvard Shopping Center and he He then was accused of sexually harassing a bunch of women, which ended up in a lawsuit. I mean, the the company paid $300,000 to settle this lawsuit with the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission in 2011. And it led to a consent decree (laughs) dealing with, you know, mandatory sexual harassment training for employees at Dave's. And then and then when he later opened his own uh, you know, sausage shop or whatever in 2019, the, the Ohio Department of Agriculture found that his company was selling sausage that was produced without a state meat inspection. So he, he was on everybody's radar for years and years. When and how did they actually decide that, you know, oh, well, actually, he's a war criminal from Yugoslavia. <laughs> <laughs> did know. no one ever, That's... this it didn't send anyone's antenna up sooner? I know. I, you, you, I'm amazed at how long he made it here before that past caught yeah, up with Yeah, without him. even flying under the radar. <laughs> I just can't believe it. Uh, it, might, it might make a good podcast. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
Let's do one more 2022 number story, Lisa. A good news one. How much did Greater Cleveland Startups raise in venture capital deals last year, and what industries are they in? Yeah, this is from a fourth quarter report from Venture Monitor. Ohio Startups raised $578 million last year from a wide range of businesses. Um, Cleveland, Akron, Canton was about $380 million of the state total, so we got a more than half, but Akron Canton actually outperformed Cleveland. If you break the regions down a little bit more, the biggest uh, money raiser was Society Brands, and from Jackson Township, they're an Amazon aggregator. They raised two hundred and four million dollars for their business, and the next one was Binary Defense. So and they raised way more than a lot of other people. There's another group, Binary Defense. They're a cyber attack defense company in Stowe. They raised $36 million. And also here in Cleveland, the Cleveland Kitchen, which used to be called Cleveland Kraut. It's a fermented foods company. They've gone national with their brand. They raised $17 million. And Clutch Cannabis of Akron, which we talked about on the podcast earlier this week with their the first drive through medical marijuana dispensary window. They raised $11 million. They're they're a pot cultivator and processor from Akron. Other businesses include dog food, AI market research, drug development for central nervous system diseases, diabetes drugs, digital marketplace for steel buyers and suppliers. So yeah, a wide range of businesses. Yeah, I, I, this is always good news because it's money coming largely from outside the region into the region. Uh, and even if if some of these don't quite make it, Ultimately, some of these companies will become decent employers and and continue our growth. So, good news story from uh, from the entrepreneurs. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's end with trees. It seems like Cleveland loves to talk about being the forest city, and there have been several efforts over the years to plant more trees, including one killed by then Mayor Frank Jackson. We have another effort underway. What is it, Laura? Yeah, I'm not sure why the former tree commission stopped, went dormant in the 2000s, but now the Urban Forestry Commission is kicking off with an inaugural meeting, and they are aiming to bring more trees to Cleveland. They, they are tasked with providing policy recommendations to city departments to help take better care of this, the trees that the city has. Cleveland loses about 97 acres of tree cover each year, which seems insane. That is so massive if you think about it. And Justin Bibb, the mayor, is on board with it. He said at first he thought the idea was kind of silly given all of the more pressing issues the city has, like gun violence. But he started thinking differently when he realized the long-range health, environmental, and economic impacts of trees, especially on the neighborhoods where people live. So the commission's going to meet four times a year. It has 15 members, eight from the mayor, seven by council. It has people from city departments, it has community-based tree-related organizations, and has a slot for reserved for youth between ages of uh, 11 and 17. So they had their first meeting Tuesday, and they are getting started. One of the reasons these efforts don't succeed is because residents know that if there's a tree in their tree lawn, it could turn their sidewalks inside out. I have one now. It looks like I had an earthquake in front of my house. Or it can get into the pipes, the, the drain pipes and things from their house requiring expensive repairs. Are, are they talking about that at all, how they might help residents deal with that? Because 
in Cleveland, as I understand it, a resident could say, I don't want one. And a lot of them have because they don't want that ultimate cost. I I don't know exactly what they're talking about. I'm sure that's going to be on their plate. I, I see what you're saying. Me, I emailed the arborist in my town and I was like, how do we get trees on my street? Because we don't have street trees and I think it needs street trees. But the problem is our tree lawn is not wide enough. They've decided that if they planted them there, it would ultimately be a bad idea. So they can't do it. I, there are so many benefits to trees, though. They reduce the temperatures and energy bills, and they they make living there a lot more pleasant. But it's not just about street trees. They're going to do a thorough tree inv- inventory across the city. They think their current inventory is only 50 or 60% accurate, and they can't take care of the trees they have if they don't know where they are. Like the calorie pear tree we talked about last week on this podcast, they have no idea if they have calorie pear trees or where they are. Yeah, I I do think they're going to need to talk about it. When Donna Brady was a city councilwoman, she proposed creating a, a fee structure where if people opted in for three bucks a month on their their water bills. There, I said it, water. Uh, that <laughs> that, that I, I, and actually, a listener had asked me to say the word because she wanted to hear me and reveal my roots. So I did. Uh, but. Uh, that then they would have, it would be like insurance against any damage done by the trees and the city would come out and repair it. Uh, I don't think it went anywhere. I don't think it, it passed, but I know in, in the past people said, I don't want them. Frank Jackson set up a program where if they paved a street and any sidewalks had been upset by trees in the tree lawn, they would take care of that in the street paving budget. But there are a whole lot of people that don't want that bill. I'm going to have to spend thousands of dollars to take care of mine. And I'm all for the trees, but it's not an inexpensive repair. I think, though, there are people like Laura who who do want trees. And, in fact, I, I think I wrote a story years ago about, uh, you know, an effort. To, they were planting a thousand trees or something in the city, and they were training residents as tree stewards who wanted the trees on their property and would go through some training, you know, uh, session about how to care for these tiny trees that were growing there and and they would give them all the gear they needed and uh, watering gators and things like that so that they could nurture them into their mature size and things like that. So I think there are probably plenty of Clevelanders who who do want this program. And Laura, speaking of narrow tree lawns, the top of the hill project in Cleveland Heights is coming to a close. And I noticed as I drove by the other day, they have a tree lawn that's maybe 18 <laughs> inches and they've planted trees all along it. Ooh, and I you mean, know maybe what's really going to happen itty, there. It's like, trees, it's just idiotic. Small. Unless, yeah, unless they're bonsai trees. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, maybe go with shrubs, you yeah, know? <laughs> I just was, I was looking at it thinking, oh, come on, you know, 10 years from now, that's going to be, it's going to look like my front sidewalk. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. That's it for a week of news. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll be back on Monday. <laughs>